All right. Welcome to the One Hand at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Chris Welton, and I have an amazing guest for you today. And the story on how we met, I mean, it's just awesome. Awesome. So I wanted to start out first by introducing him. He's a highly sought after keynote speaker, best-selling author, college professor. He was a D1 quarterback, a man of God, a father, I'm sorry, a stepfather, a husband, and someone I've been able to call friend, which is just really cool, really cool. So Damon West, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thanks a lot, man. The only thing you left off the introduction was an, an animal dad. So this is my little stepdaughter's Yorkie. This is Hershey. Hershey. Yeah, I know Hershey. Hershey's Hershey's Instagram famous. <laughs> yeah, Hershey, Hershey felt the need to join the podcast today. So here she is, man. So look. Welcome, <laughs> Hershey. Yeah, welcome, yeah, Hershey, for sure. I have a little gray cat that likes to come in here and jump on the screen from time to time, too. So. So I wanted to jump right out of the gate and talk about uh, or ask this question that I was thinking about this morning as I was writing. Is there anything you would go back and tell your 25-year-old self that would change where you are today? Uh, yeah, there is. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to change um, anything that happened because I think that God sets us on a path. And, and a lot of times we don't know why we're on that path, but it's not always even just for us, it's for what the impact we can have on the people around us. And sometimes uh, we have to be used as instruments for that. In fact, a lot of times. But the one thing I would tell myself is ask for help. The three hardest words, Chris, for a human being to say to another human being, I need help. I need help. It's the hardest thing to say. It's the word, three words I could never say until I was sentenced to life in prison. It was almost too late. Yeah, I, I find that incredibly powerful, too. And in, in I, the reason I asked that question, someone asked me the other day that question, and I thought real hard to myself. And my answer was no, just because I really feel like my feet are planted exactly where they're supposed to be. And I wouldn't be able to help the people that I'm helping now if I hadn't been through what I was had gone through in the past. Fantastic. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of the same theory that I'm talking about right there. man. So I wanted to start off, I wanted to come up next with how we actually connected. So I had met with a guy named Bradley and he told me this way to get in touch with people that I wanted to connect with. In June, I was listening to Ed Milet's podcast and you were a guest. Ed Milet is somebody I listen to every single week. I don't necessarily connect with people that I hear on the podcast, but there was something about your voice, your story that really affected me personally, being the son of an addict and through some of the challenges I've been through in my life, I just had this instant connection with you. So I felt the need to find out. I'm sure it was a weird question. Do you, I'm sure you, do you remember when I DM'd you and I asked you what shoe size, you, what size shoe you wore? Yeah. And my first response was like in prison, man, in prison in someone, if someone asks you your shoe size in prison, the, the correct answer is your side MF because it's like, come get them, man. Yeah. So it, it, I, I found out which size you wore. I know you're a big fan of Jordans like myself. So I went ahead and, and, and grabbed a pair of Jordan threes and, and send them to you. No, you didn't just you didn't just send them to me. Tell them how you did it, though. This is like this is really y'all got to listen to what Chris did. This is the, one of the coolest intros I've ever seen. Seriously, listen. Tell them what you did. So I found his size, and we talked back and forth about which style style Jordans we liked the most, the threes or whatever. So he, I knew you liked threes, so I found a set of three pair of threes in his size. I wrote a handwritten note and sent him one shoe and said, "If you will." Please first accept the shoe as a gift for your time and everything you've shared. But if you'll do a Zoom call with me, I will send you the other shoe. So cool. <laughs> and hey, it worked. And Damon was so gracious, responded to me right away, said, Chris, I'll get on a Zoom with you for sure. 
and we hit it off on the Zoom. And the really cool thing about that was is right around that time, I found out I was going to be speaking at an event that Damon was speaking at as well. So we were able to connect in person. And this is before I even started a podcast or anything else. For me, the, the instant response to someone you don't know and coming back to me, it wasn't a bot, was a big deal for me. So I just wanted to share that from the beginning here as we start to get into the rest of the podcast. I felt the connection with Damon. Um, I saw him speak live at that event, which I thought I'd heard it all because I'd been listened to him multiple times. When you see him live, if you have an opportunity, you better listen. If you have an opportunity to get Damon West on stage at your event, please do it because it was just an unbelievable experience for me. And then my flight gets delayed nine hours leaving, leaving Charleston. And who do I run into at the airport? Damon West. <laughs> so we were able to catch up again, which was, which was incredible. Damon, less, you know, a lot of people do know, know the coffee bean story, but I want to get into that a little bit, but I have some more questions beyond that scope as well. When you were in prison and that sh I listened to the podcast again with Ed Milet this morning, what can you remember exactly when that shift was that, Hey, I've got to do something different with my life to help others and not just survive this experience. Yeah. I think that, the first realization of it that I, I can recall is whenever the day that I was sentenced to life in prison, May 18th, 2009, um, when the jury came back with 65 years, which is life in Texas, that was the day that I realized that something had to change, that something is me. That was rock bottom for me. I'm an addict. I'm a recovering addict. And so as a recovering addict, uh, I found this place that we talk about called rock bottom, a place where... It's a bottom sufficient enough for you to want to make the change where you get kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's where I was. Now, your question goes a little bit deeper than just the realization. It's the realization that serving others was the way, the path forward for me. I didn't realize that on May 18, 2009. I just knew that I had to change. I didn't know how. And um, as we'll hear from the story, I've met people along the way that would share different messages with me. The coffee bean message, a guy named Carlos and in uh, my first cellmate in prison. But it wasn't until I got into a program recovery, a 12-step program recovery. This is in 2011 in prison. So this is two years after my sentencing, three years after my arrest. I've been sober this whole time, but I'm not working a program recovery. And in a program recovery, the basic tenet of a program recovery is to, to serve other people. It's, it's service work. We do a lot of service work because that keeps us sober. Because once we get outside of ourselves, then we can be useful to other people. And a lot of times, I have found in my life, we use a lot of I statements when we're talking about recovery, because this is the program that worked for me. I found that whenever I have a problem and something I'm going through, one of the best ways to get out of my own problems is to go throw myself into other people's problems, go help other people out with what they're struggling with, because that takes me away from my problems. And a lot of times along the way, I've found that my problems aren't really problems. It's just a a mindset that day, a shift, a simple shift that I have to make to get myself out of seeing what's going on around me as a, as a bad day and, and apply a little bit of uh, a little bit of perspective. You know, in, in life, we have perspective of what, about what a good day and a bad day looks like. For example, a bad day is when you lose something big, a job, a family member, a relationship, a divorce, a career change, all kinds of different things that can happen in life. Um, where we have experienced loss, and those are bad days. Most of our bad days aren't like that. And when I got into a program recovery, I learned how to apply perspective. I learned how to keep my side of the street clean, meaning that I can only work on me. I can't change anybody else, but I can certainly 
work on how I think, feel, say, and do everything in my life. And once I got into that mindset of being responsible for me and, and being a, a good person, then I could serve other people. And that was really when I learned it back in about 2011 in prison. And when I did that, when I got this message, I started seeing examples of other servant leaders around me. And a lot of times there were volunteer men that would come into the chapel and volunteer to spend time with us. They would do these Christian retreats in there. But these guys would come in for four days. They'd give up their jobs, their homes, their lives, their families, their careers, everything for four days to spend time with us, the cursed, the wicked, the sinners, the incarcerated, uh, to love on us. And that was really when I started learning about serving other people. And man, once I found out about it, I was hooked. And I don't know if that's the right word for uh, uh, a person that's in recovery to use, but I was hooked, man. I wanted more of this servant leadership. Yeah. And obviously that bleeds through. I mean, I see that from you. And was I'm thinking about that, how you realize what it was about serving other people. And I also started thinking about why so many corporations are bringing you in to speak and have you engage, have the engagement. Servant leadership from the core has those same principles, I believe. And the, the fact that you had to go through those things to be able to realize what it was all about is super impactful. And you're right. A bad day to some people is, is a good day to others. But as I'm sitting here this morning going through my notes and just trying to make sure I can connect with you on this, I'm like, okay, how does Damon West affect people in a boardroom when he walks in that have maybe no experience with, with people in drug addiction or, or anything like that? What, why is that message so powerful? You think to, I see you on a corporate jet flying to Wendy's. First of all, I don't even know if you can claim that you're a resident of the tech state of Texas anymore. Cause you don't live there very often. I think you're a resident of holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a resident of, of, of the entire country at this point, man. I'm home. I'm, on, I'm probably on the road 24 days of the month, every month. So how does that connect when you, they bring you into boardrooms? Like what, what does that look like, Damon? Yeah, I think that, you know, especially how it connects to the corporate culture is, is, is everything in life, not just, a, you know, a sports team. Everything is about being on a team. And when you're on a team, you have these these team goals. You have these core principles that drive this team. And, and everybody's always trying to figure out how do we form the best team here? Because when we have the best team, then we can be the best company. We can be the best group, the best organization. And I think people are always trying to figure that out. And a guy like me comes in with a story about how one man was able to possibly impact the world around him inside this prison and, and even outside in the, in the free world out here. And then if one man has the power to do that, imagine if we had so many other people thinking the same way. Then what kind of what kind of change in behaviors could we drive that could make us even better than our competitors? And I think that's what a corporate environment sees is the advantage if we can get people to believe in this coffee bean mindset, then, you know, we can be the best version of ourselves too, the best version of our company too. Yeah. So let's run into that coffee bean mindset. And and I don't want to take a, the whole, you know, a bunch of time on it, but if you can give me a summary, I know it in and out. I've read the book. I bought the kid's book for my grandchild and my niece and, and I'm repping the be a coffee bean t-shirt today. And I just, I think it's important to understand that, that, but then I really want to go deep on some other things on how you were able to, um, and you and I had this conversation offline talking about growing my speaking business. What do I need to do to do that? What do I need to do to do other things? So let's start with the coffee bean and what that foundation's about. And then we can go, go to there. Yeah. So about a month after I was sentenced to life from prison, it's, it, you know, I got sentenced May 18th, 2009. I'm in Dallas County jail waiting for the prison bus to come pick me up. 
and I have a chance encounter with another inmate, this older black man named Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson is in there on a parole violation. He's been in and out of prison all of his life. Older guy. And he shares with me the story of the coffee bean. He tells me to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he says, anything we put into the pot of boiling water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. So he said, I want to put three things in the pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it, Chris. He says, hey, a carrot and a pot of boiling water become soft. And he said, the carrot went into the water really hard and firm, but the water turned the hard carrot soft, mushy, and weak. And he said, this happens to some people in life. They get beat down by life. And he said, where you're going, carrots get beat, they get robbed, they may get killed. You don't want to be the carrot inside the prison. And he says, the egg in the same pot of boiling water goes in with a soft liquid inside, a hard shell that protects it on the outside, but in that pot of warm water, that soft liquid inside, the heart becomes hardened. And he says, if your heart becomes hardened, you become incapable of giving or receiving love. And if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you become institutionalized and you will not come back as someone your parents recognize. And he told me the coffee bean in the same pot of warm water changes the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. He said it was the only thing, by the way, that could change the water. Everything else is changed by the water. Carrots are changed by the water. Eggs are changed by the water, but not a coffee bean. Coffee bean is the only thing that can change the water because it is the change agent. And that's what he walks me through. He's telling me, man, he said, if you want to come back on the other side of this thing and be someone that your parents recognize, you want to become that coffee bean inside that prison then. Because the coffee bean is the only thing that's going to change the prison around them. And he said, you know, because my parents told me you can't get into a gang. You can't get part of the prison culture. He said, the only way you're going to survive is to find the other coffee beans, or better yet. He said, if you're a coffee bean, your energy will allow other coffee beans to find you. And that's one of the things he talked about is energy, Chris. Like, you know, we all put out energy, negative or positive energy. Whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. This is like really true in life. But he told me something very important about that energy. He said, every room you walk into, West, you'll either infect the room with your negative energy or you will affect the room with your positive energy. That's so good. In fact, That's personal so good. effect. Yeah. And the last thing he ever said to me, Chris, he said, be a coffee bean. And so that's the message I took with me inside this pot of warm water, this allegory, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean inside the biggest pot of warm water there is, a maximum security prison. And that's the power of the story, Chris, because if I could do it in there, the biggest pot of warm water there is, I mean, you can do it out here. I talk to people all over the world, Chris, and people's biggest fear, they tell me, is, is to go to prison. Almost, almost unanimous that people's biggest fears go to prison. And, and, and I went into that scary place because it, it's a very dangerous and scary place. But I changed that pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. And when you and I were talking about, you know, forming your speaking platform, you know, we talked about that servant leadership aspect. Because if you go in with a mindset that you're going to serve other people, one, then people are going to want that. And the other thing is to add value to every room you go into. You have to be able to add value to the people you're going to speak in front of. Because if you don't, then, you know, you could be wasting your time and their time. And time is the most precious resource we have, man. It's the most valuable thing we're ever going to get in life. And once this stuff is gone, this time, once that's gone, it's gone for good. All the money in the world can't buy one more second of that stuff that we call time. And I didn't really understand the value of time until I did time instead of a prison. I can only imagine that as far as the time's concerned, but 
one of the big things I get from that story, every time I hear it, I get a little bit of chills because I can just, I can see it happening, right? Like I can see the story unfolding. I've had some close friends throughout my life. I grew up in an area where some of my friends went away for a while and they came out worse than they went in, right? They just came out, didn't change and, and family members the same way. So I've had a select few that have come out and done better, but I think the powerful thing for me is the stories we can learn from people we don't think that maybe can teach us anything. And the fact that you took time and listened to the, that gentleman, Mr. Jackson, tell you that story was incredibly powerful. Most people wouldn't have listened. They wouldn't have taken advantage of that and figured out a way to do good with it. And I feel like we're faced with that every single day. And I do this thing when I meet people, I'm like, what if that's the last person I'm ever going to meet? And what are they going to say about me? I love the fact that you listened to Mr. Jackson and you've been able to turn that into something to help out thousands of people along the way. Yeah, it's, I think it's important to be receptive to all of God's messengers. And whatever faith you are, this isn't just a, a Christian concept. This is an every person concept. That on the road of life, there's going to be people there that are going to help guide you to other stations in life. They don't always look like you or come from the same background. Like Mr. Jackson is a black Muslim man in Dallas County Jail. Taught me one of the most important lessons in life. Proof that any messenger can be used. And you can't shut yourself off to people because of their differences. Uh, because if you do that, if you if you close yourself off to people because of their differences, you may miss the important lessons and, and, and some great friendships along the way, too. But the thing about messengers is that everybody, Chris, is a teacher. Everybody is either a teacher. They teach us how to do something, teach us how to do something the right way or the wrong way. But everybody is a teacher in life. We must always explore and be open to the concept that everybody can teach us how to do something in life, whether it's good or it's bad. Nick Saban told me one time, he said, good players learn from their, their own mistakes and great players learn from the mistakes of other people. So always be paying attention to the people around you. Yeah, well, you know you know how I feel about my man, Nick. I'm a Gator fan, but I still love Nick Saban. Like I, I, I will, he's on my list. I put this, well, actually when I was at the airport with you, I'd written, wrote down what my goals were for this year. And one of those goals was to meet Nick Saban in person. So he's on my list and so is Ed Milet. So you watch, I'm going to figure out a way to get in front of those guys. And then you and I will talk about that at a later date. We got, I, I did it. And it was funny because it was where you and I were sitting at the airport. I'd posted some stuff and somebody messaged me about another speaking opportunity. And you go, are you ready? Because it's about to begin. And it has, it started to take off. So I appreciate that. But I, I really want to talk to one of the most powerful things about the, the interview with Ed Milette was how you referred to the SWAT team as angels. And what that did for me, Damon, was... I'll give you a little bit of a backstory for me. I had multiple things happen throughout my childhood and through my business life. And when I finally realized that these were things happening for me and not to me, I was 48 years old. I had a responsibility to help other people who've been through these things. One thing that did happen to me when I was 48 is I lost my son. And for about eight months, I was in the deep, dark you couldn't, I mean, put on a bunch of weight and wasn't taking care of myself. Didn't understand what I needed to do. I had a really tough relationship with God at that point. I did. We were not on the same page. At least I didn't feel so. Um, I don't believe that happened for me. That's there's other things, but I do believe that I have a mission to help other people who've gone through those types of loss and adversity. And at 48, I realized that. So God has been continuing putting angels in my life since then. He did it before, but I didn't recognize them as angels. I just recognize them as people along the way. So I've had these people come in my life the last year, and Damon West is one of those people. 
that he put in front of me to make me realize what's possible and listen and to be able to share. So I want you to, to tell us a little more about why you refer to a SWAT team, most people wouldn't, kicking your door in and taking you into custody as angels. Yeah, and think about this too, before I tell this story, SWAT team, and this story is an actual SWAT team. Dallas SWAT, they're heavily armed, shields, helmets, rifles, assault rifles. Man, they're coming through the windows, they're busting down the doors. But the SWAT teams of life come in different forms. I mean, this is a bankruptcy, divorce, uh, losing a job, losing a career. These are the SWAT teams are coming for us all the time. And, and and when the SWAT team comes, it doesn't have to be an arrest that's made that day. It can be a rescue mission by that SWAT team. And that was the reversal of how I see that SWAT team. You know, my angels in life didn't have wings. They had assault rifles and shields and helmets. They came through the windows. They busted the door off my hinges to pull me out of this world, to pluck me out of this world that I was in where I wasn't living the best version of myself. And I, I truly believe that God decided at that point in time in life to say, hey, you know what, Damon? You know, I've got a plan for you, but I've got to pluck you out of this world and i got to break you down more to show people what I'm capable of. And I had to be receptive to that message. And look, man, I'm a drug addict. I'm the head of an organized crime ring. The last thing I see on July 30th, 2008, the day the SWAT team got me, the last thing I see that as a rescue mission, man, I'm, I feel like I'm being held hostage. In fact, I do an interview with the WFA, the Dallas news station, and tell them that I feel like a political prisoner. Imagine that, man, the, the audacity of me saying those words, but I'm this delusion in my mind that I'm being held hostage, that I'm an innocent man, that, you know, they've got the wrong guy. When in reality, I know that they've, they've got their man. The evidence was overwhelming against me, but I wasn't at a place in time to be able to accept responsibility for the things I've done and to be able to accept that this was happening for me, not to me. And look, man, this was a long road to get to that point. You talked about your son dying. I can't even imagine that pain. And Chris, know this, all pain is relative. It is. All pain is relative. If you say it's the worst pain in the world, that's the worst pain in the world and no one can tell you any different. But not all pain is the same. All right. So some pain is going to be different in our lives. But every time we experience this pain, this pain that you experience with your son, the pain I experienced with uh, having to go to a maximum security prison to pay my debt to society, because I owe that debt, because I, I did the crimes. I was good for it. But when we go through these, these moments, and if we have that to apply as our perspective, then we can conquer most any day in front of us. Because now we can compare that to that, that, that really bad thing to what we're going through at the time. And I bet you use that a lot of times in your life too, don't you, Chris? I mean, you, you sit there and you think you're having a bad day, but you think about the day you got the news about your son. I'm sure yeah, I, I, mean, I, I was, I was in the room with him when he passed. So, um, you know, that day is a build strength for me. It helps me. Um, I speak to my son multiple times a day. He's one of the reasons I had the courage to put a Jordan in a box and send it to you. Um, there's no doubt that the things I'm going, I'm, I'm helping with people, helping other people with, and the growth I've had since then has a lot to do with everything he do, has done for me. So you're hundred percent right. I draw strength from that pain. I could have gone a different direction and nobody would have been mad about me. I could have quit my job and done whatever, you know, gone down that path forever and everybody had been, it had been okay. Um, but I didn't give myself permission to do that. I gave myself permission to learn from that. And I love him to the end of time. 
and he is he is with me right now, helping me. He helped me prepare this morning. He's helping me ha have this conversation with you today. I love it, man. I love it. And you've drawn, you've you've turned your adversity into an opportunity, man. And you're the opportunity here, Chris, is not just you know for you to go out and 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 face the day, you know, and survive the experience. It's to thrive, like you have, man. You're thriving. You're out there speaking. You're sharing your story. But you're giving someone else, you're giving someone else hope, and that's the thing, man. You're you become a dealer in hope, and that's what I tell people all the time. Uh, I'm a smuggler of hope, and I, I deal hope to people. And, and like when I go into a prison, we the people want to smuggle all kinds of different things into a prison. They want to bring people want to smuggle cell phones. They want to smuggle dope. They want to smuggle weapons. I smuggle hope, man. I bring hope to the hopeless, and that's what you're doing now because. No doubt there's other people that have lost a loved one, maybe a child, maybe a family member or whatever, but they're going to look at your story and they're going to draw hope from that because they're going to say, he didn't give up. And if he could do it, I can do it. And that's the whole point of why we're all here. Now we're talking about serving other people, man. You're serving others simply by your existence and your ability to accept and move on from what happened. You're a servant leader just for that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's, the opportunities to connect with people like you and I'm in the RTA syndicate with Ed Milet and Andy Frisella and, um, and I'm starting to build a friendly relationship with a gentleman by the name of Ben Newman. I don't know if you know who Ben Newman is or not, but yeah, no, Ben. Um, yeah. So I sent him a Jordan as well. Actually, he was DMing me a little while ago before we got on the call. I found people that are doing the things that I want to do to help other people achieve what they want to do as far as their goals and everything else. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm the king of R and D. I'm going to rip off and duplicate what I see Damon West do because I know how it can affect people in the right way. Right. So I, I want you to, let, let's talk real quick about the message that you have for other people who are getting out of prison or other people who are addicts, the message to not let them, that let those things define them in a negative way. Um, I think we, America, we talk about it's the land of second chances, but is it really like, sometimes I don't feel that it is right. So I really want to, um, I want to go deeper with that being the son of a drug addict and understanding that and, and being around a lot of people who've been in and out of prison. I, I, I really, that was one of the big things that drew me to you as well, but I just, I want to hear what you have to say to them. And maybe people on here have those, that they're, they're have this, have been through the same thing or they have fans, family and friends we can share this with to help them. Are we the land of second chances? I don't know, man. I mean, it, it... Look, I have, I've got a tremendous second chance in life. Um, and I have businesses now where I go out and I, I try to hire people that are coming out of prison, that are in a program recovery. I've got a, my wife is a demolition company. My, my father-in-law and I build houses on the side. Um, and we do, we try to hire people that are coming out of prison, people that need a second chance. And, and I try to always find people that are in a program recovery, Chris, because addiction is a very, insidious thing. It's something that 80% of the people that are locked up have substance abuse issues. Me being one of them too, by the way. So I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But I get burned a lot. I get burned a lot by formerly incarcerated people. And look, I, I'm i their conquering hero, man. I'm the, the guy that people in prisons all over America look to and like, man, that is our hope, man. That's our guy that carries the torch that brings us hope. And the truth is, a lot of times I get burned by them when they come out of prison because they don't have a program recovery to deal with their disease of addiction. Addiction is a very real thing. And addiction affects everybody in this country, Chris, whether you're the addict, the friend of an addict, the family member of an addict like you, the victim of an addict, the taxpayer. 
we're all we're all affected by addiction in some way in this country. And if my employees, the people I want to hire, don't have a program recovery, the chances are good I'm going to lose them out to their addiction because life is going to be hard. And it's not always going to be a drink or a drug that sends people back out into their addiction. It could be something that happens in life that's bad. It could be something in life that happens that's good. Life can get too good for sometimes for us addicts. And we can stop going to meetings and we can, we can lose the recovery we have along the way because that's a daily thing you have to tap into. You asked about the hope that I get to bring people in prison. Chris, whenever I, I talk to people about this, I ask them all the time if they've ever watched the movie Shawshank Redemption. You ever seen Shawshank Redemption? Of course. Of course. So when you watch Shawshank, the, the movie is narrated by Red, Morgan Freeman's character. And he's talking about this guy that comes in, Andy Dufresne. I mean, the whole thing is that Red talking about Andy Dufresne. And... You would think watching the movie that it's a movie about Andy Dufresne because Red's character is talking about Andy's character, Tim Robbins. But when I see Shawshank Redemption, especially after going through prison, prison is a place where there's not a lot of hope, Chris. It's the one thing in the shortest supply that everyone needs the most, too, by the way. But when I watch Shawshank after going through prison, I think the movie Shawshank is about Red. I think it's Red's story. And I'm going to tell you why I think it's Red's story. Because Red is dead. The Red we meet at the beginning of the movie is a dead man. And Red has lost hope. It's, it's like when Brooks finally makes parole. And he gets out mm-hmm. after 50 years. He makes parole. He goes out. It lasts about two weeks before he hangs himself. Because he can't survive out in the world. And he writes the letter back to the in, in, inside to the men in Shawshank Prison. And Red even turns to Andy and says that, Andy, I don't know if I can survive out there. I'm an institutional man, Andy. He's lost hope. In fact, he tells Andy, hope is a dangerous thing. Imagine living a life where you think hope is dangerous, man. You're in real trouble then. But what did Andy say to Red? Andy told Red, get busy living or get busy dying. Andy saved Red's life. He's telling the story about this guy, this angel on the road in life, that pulled him out of the pits of hell and saved his life and gave him hope again. That's what I get to do in the lives of so many other people that are in prison when I go into a prison system. Because, man, when I go into a prison, it's my favorite place to be. It's, it's the one place that pays zero dollars to go in and speak because there's no money to go in and speak in a prison. But it pays me in such a different way. It's spiritual reward that I get for going in there. Because I'm the most effective inside that environment. I'm very effective in front of a corporate audience, in front of a sports team, group, organization. But man, when I go into a prison, 100% of that room is listening to every single word I say with intention. 100% room because they want what I've got. This peace, this serenity, this ability to hold on to the things they get in life. They want that. And if they're willing to do what I've done to get there, I can show them the way and I can bring them hope on their journey. And that's what I do in life, man. I smuggle hope inside those prisons. That's so powerful, Damon, to, to, for you to step back in there and give some of those guys hope. We know statistics say that chances are they're going to be back in there. But I like the positive side of statistics, too. It can't always be a negative thing. You know, being raised a drug addict and, and born an amputee, being raised by a drug addict and born an amputee, Um, the statistics say I shouldn't be where I am right now. You know, I shouldn't be on the level that I am. I had permission from family members. It was okay if I got in trouble, those kinds of things, because they just thought that that's the path I was on. I chose at an early age not to take that path. 
Now, I, I want to ask you when you got out, um, and obviously you, you, um, it's funny because we're both married to nurse practitioners, which is, which is awesome. Um, the courage that it had to take to ask Kendall out on a date. Like, I mean, you know, people get inside their own head and tell them stories. They're not worthy. They're not this, they're not that. Why would someone on this caliber want to have anything to do with me? Right. And I found that me telling myself that story for a long, long time, went through a lot of bad relationships until I found my wife, because I, when I realized I deserved more than I was getting, but I, I, I want you to be able to, to articulate that to the listeners as well. When I was in prison, I used to lay in my bunk and I'm sure that most men and women that have ever been incarcerated have laid in their bunk and had this thought, I'm not worthy. Why would anybody want me? Who's going to want me after all the things that I've done? I will never find love like that. And if, let's say I did stumble into that and I found love, someone that would love me, their family's not going to love me. How's someone going to accept me after the things I've done? And you know, going further than just laying in a prison bunk, I think a lot of people have laid in their own beds and thought that out in the free world because you don't have to be locked up in a physical prison to be in prison. Man, I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I served time in a real prison because more people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete. But I used to have those thoughts, Chris. I thought to myself, no one will ever love me. And if I find that one person that will love me, their family surely won't love me because look at all the bad things I've done. This is me. I read a book when I was in prison. Um, and it was, I'm going to tell you the quote from the book. It was so important to me. I wrote it down in my Bible. Um, in our, we write things down in our religious books. If you're a Muslim, you write it down in your Quran. If you're a, you're a Christian, you write it down in your Bible. You're, you're Jewish, you write it down in your Torah. Um, whatever religious book is, they can't take that away from you. So you put your most important things in there. Your, your addresses, your phone numbers, the contacts in life that you have, or something really interesting you read. I was reading a book called The Given Day, and it was by an author named Dennis Lehane. Dennis Lehane had other books that became movies like Mystic River, stuff like that. This book by Dennis Lehane, The Given Day, it was an older brother talking to his younger brother. And he's telling him about life. And I think his name was Joe. He said, Joe, you're going to find you're going to have two families in this life. He said, the first family is the one you're born into. And he said, that's an important family. He said, and they're going to love you because they have to, because your blood and blood is strong. He said, but man, the second family, that's the one you go out and find. He said, this one is an incredible family because the family that you go out and find, they don't love you because they have to. They love you because they choose to. And I found that second family whenever I met Kendall and started dating her. And whenever Kendall and I first met, you know, I could feel there was energy exchange between us and she could feel it too. But I didn't really see myself in a place right then to, to reach out to her. And in fact, it was a couple of months and she reached back out to me, messaged me on Facebook. I didn't even get her number that night that I met her with some other friends of hers that are nurse practitioners, other co-workers. Um, because a, a friend of mine that is a nurse practitioner was helping me on a case that I was working at a law firm where I was on a medical malpractice case. And that's how I met Kendall because I was getting some language for emotion that night to write. And, um, but Kendall gets back in touch with me and one of the first conversations with Kendall, I'm like, listen, I've got the worst past there is. I mean, I was like, I don't even know if you can get past my past. But I asked her, I said, did you like to read? 
She said, I love to read. So I just was hammering out the manuscript for the change agent, which is my autobiography that's gone on to be a, a really good, really big selling book. It's going to hopefully be a Netflix limited series in about a year. But I had the manuscript almost done with that. And I said, hey, listen, if you like to read, here's 450 pages of everything I've done. So I emailed her my book and she devoured this thing in like two days. She's a very avid reader. And she comes back to me after two days. She's like, okay, I'm good with all of it that's in that book. And, and Chris, man, my worst failures are in this book. I put them in there for a reason because I want people to see the ugliest side of addiction. Fail, failures like when I was strung out on meth and Hurricane Rita hits the Gulf Coast down here in Texas and my family sends my grandmother, my octogenarian grandmother, up there to live with me in Dallas. And, and man, they don't know that I'm strung out on meth and I'm, I can't keep my own life together. And I, I totally let my grandmother down. I mean, my grandmother lives in her own filth in, my, in this bedroom in the apartment I'm living in with the cartel guys are coming in. The credit cards they gave me to take care of my grandmother, the cartel guys end up using that because I owe them money for drugs. My biggest failure in life is in that book, man. And she says, that's cool, man, I'm good. It sounds like you made a lot of mistakes in life and you paid a hell of a price. She brought me to meet her family, her family, her dad, her dad. And he looks at me and he, and I'm told him about my life. And he's like, man, <clears throat> it sounds like you made a lot of mistakes in life, but you paid a hell of a price. And he said, hey, how about this? That's all in the past. That's in the rearview mirror, man. Be good to my daughter and, and everything will be fine. And I found that second family in life, Chris. And it, I want people to hear that story because I want you to know that there you should never give up hope that there's someone out there for you. Like you did in life. You changed your your ideals about what what your partner should look like, you know? But it's also about us becoming the best version of ourselves to be a good partner, too. Another story about that. When I got out of prison, I got into AA. I went to AA, my first AA meeting the, the first day I got out. Got my sponsor. Started working steps. And my sponsor, this old guy from Boston, he's telling me, he's like, hey, listen, I'll be your sponsor as long as you listen to everything I say. You're willing to go to any lengths to stay sober, right? And you'll do everything I tell you to do. So I've got an itch to go out and meet a woman right when I get out of prison. I've been gone for seven years and three months, Chris. I, I'm a guy. Of course. Of course. At the core. I'm a guy, man. Look, it's, it's been a long yeah. time. And, uh -huh. and, I'm, and I'm telling my sponsor, man, we're going through these sponsorship meetings. And he's like, you can't go out and meet somebody right now. You just can't. And, man, I've heard stories about this. Like, you, you got to get, like, a plant first. And you got to get a dog. And then you can get a relationship. Or you got to wait 12 months before you can have a girlfriend. And I'm like, man, and we'll call him Ray for the sake of anonymity. I'm like, Ray, man, please tell me you're not going to tell me I'll have to wait 12 months before I, <laughs> man, I just did seven years and three months. I can't do another 12. And he no, said, no. Sorry. He said, I'm not going to tell you you have to wait 12 months. And he said, I'm going to tell you you have to wait 12 steps. He said, work the complete 12 steps of the program of AA. And when you get to the 12th step, you'll be a person worthy of being in a relationship with too. And not only that, not only will you be worthy because you've cleaned out all the baggage in your life, you've done a personal inventory, you've cleaned your side of the street. Now you're a, a good person to be in a relationship. Not only that, but you'll have a matrix to plug anybody else to to see if they're worthy of you. And I listened to him, Chris. I waited till we worked those 12 steps before I started dating. I, I tell you, what I get from that though is something I've been talking about a lot lately is it's, I don't think people share their losses enough. They share their wins. 
And most of the time when you go into the dating world, what do you want to do? Oh yeah, look my best. Got to have my car cleaned and make it look like I have all these things that maybe I'm not. You get into these relationships, then you end up getting married and then the real stuff comes to the surface and the relationship doesn't work. Love the fact that you start with, hey, this is who I am. If you can get past that, I am I am really worth worth spending my life with. And I I think that's why my relationship with my wife has gone so well. I was very honest with everything up front. Excuse me, all my successes and my failures. And we were able to build a relationship off that. And I don't think enough relationships in personal business or anything are built in that manner. And I think you have to have the foundation of the losses and the wins. I mean, too many times those losses come up later in life and you're like, I didn't know that about you. Why were you hiding that about me? You weren't honest with me. So Damon, kudos to you for doing that. And I think that that has, obviously that has built a strong relationship with you and Kendall. Yeah, um, 100%, Chris. That, that, that's, that, I mean, just, just be you, man. No one else is you. Just be you. And, and let people make a determination on that. Because, I mean, you're right, man. People put on the best you know, the best show when they're first meeting somebody, it's almost like a 90 day probationary period of the best version of you that you can be. And if that's not really you, then it's going to come out in the wash. And that's, um, that's false advertisement, man. No one wants to be a victim of, of, of false advertisement like that. But yeah, man, I, I think, I think it's great that, that you set the standard higher for what you thought you were worthy of too, because that's what in life we all are worthy to be loved. That's two things human beings want at the core, man. We want to belong and be loved, Chris. That's what everybody wants. No doubt about that. So, Damon, I, I, I want to, I want to, we'll finish up here with what's the best way for people to connect with Damon West? And um, is it through your website? Is it through social media? What does that look yeah, like? Yeah, DamonWest.org, D-A-M-O-N-W-S-T.org is the best way to find me. Uh to book me, whatever, learn more about me. A lot of materials there. Social media is at Damon West Seven on Instagram and Twitter, and my books are available anywhere Amazon sold. Uh, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, obviously Barnes and Nobles. Anywhere books are sold. I got a new book coming out February first, Chris, called How to Be a Coffee Bean: The One Hundred Eleven Principles of Being a Coffee Bean. It's the maturing of the whole coffee bean message. It's how it's been used in different uh, cultures and teams all throughout America. How to be a coffee bean, 111 principles on how to be a coffee bean coming out February 1st. I can't wait to read that. I will. I'll be one of the first people when it comes out to read that for sure. And what's the goal here? I mean, what are, you know, you're, you're gone 20 something nights a, um, a month and you're on the move all the time. What is the, what's the big game? Like, what are you trying to accomplish with that name? Are you building something bigger than this? I mean, like, I know you're really big into philanthropy. You have, we talked, I, I, I heard, I, talk, I spoke to you before about, the homes that you build and the development, that type of stuff. But what is, what are you, what's the big, what are you heading for here? Like, what are, is it just to keep spreading the, spreading the coffee bean story to help people? Or is it, you're going to grow past that and, and keep going? And yeah, no, I, w- I want to grow this thing up uh, to where it is a, it's, it's a movement. First of all, I want this coffee bean message to spread around the world. Like it's a movement. The best advice I've ever gotten about this is about building your brand. This is what John Gordon told me. When we met, when John, John reaches out to me to write the book, The Coffee Bean, which changes my life in 2019, he said, hey, Damon, you've been sharing this message. He said, I want to encourage you to keep sharing your message. Your message is be a coffee bean. That is your brand, the coffee bean. He said, do not change this. He said, people go through life and they have a great message, 
or a brand they're trying to build and they don't see the results right away and they change it midstream, three years, four years, five years into it, they change it. He said, then you confuse people. No one knows what you're there for. You're the coffee bean guy, you're something else. He said, but if you will stick with this message as be a coffee bean, one day it will take off because you are relentless in, in trying to, to drive your message out there. One day it'll take off. And when it does, you'll be known as the coffee bean guy. And that'll be a pretty big thing to be. And that's happening now, Chris. I'm known as the coffee bean guy. But passionately, what I would like to pursue, I'd like to pursue a world where I can take this message big enough and, and go out there and make a, a good enough life out of it that I can get back off, that I can take some of the days off the road from speaking to audiences where I'm out there making money, corporations, teams, stuff like that, going all over the world. I'd like to pull back a lot from that and end up in prison more than I'm in anywhere else, which is ironic. Fought so hard to get out of prison. But I'd like <laughs> to spend the rest of my life going back into prisons because I want to deliver that hope, man. I've got this message of hope and this message of the coffee bean. I got it from a guy in Dallas County Jail that spent most of his life inside of prisons. And I think that message belongs inside of there, ultimately in the end. And that's my purpose in life. I'm going to get back inside those prisons once I build my career up enough that I can step back and, and do that a lot more. Thanks again, Damon, uh, and, and for taking the time out on a Sunday afternoon to spend uh, with me on my podcast. And I look forward to seeing where our friendship goes from here. Um, awesome, man. Awesome conversation. Thanks a lot, brother. And thanks for the Jordans. I'll never forget that gift. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to the One Hand at a Time podcast today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and share. I'm often asked if I'm available for speaking opportunities or accepting new coaching clients. The answer is yes. Feel free to click the Calendly link in the show notes to set up a 30-minute call with myself. And remember, as we move forward in life, we do it one hand at a time.